Let's look beginning at verse 13. Just back up a verse. Paul, as he writes to the Ephesians in verse 13, he says, Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. We know that Paul, he's been writing about the mystery of the church and the mystery of Christ and how Jew and Gentile has been reconciled into one body, the church. And here he asks the Ephesians not to be discouraged, that they not lose heart at his tribulations or because of his sufferings. Instead, he tells them that they should regard them as glory. Instead, he tells them because of my tribulations, because of my sufferings, you should feel honored because I've suffered for you. Why would Paul say such a thing? I've suffered for you and you should feel honored that I've suffered for you. Why would Paul say something like that? Well, if Paul hadn't preached the gospel, he wouldn't be in jail. But then if he hadn't preached the gospel, the believers in Ephesus might not have ever heard the good news. They might not have ever heard about Jesus and been saved. And so here's the thing, Paul, he endured the pain of persecution. He endured the pain of suffering in order to reach people who did not know Jesus. He was willing to suffer that people might be saved. And so here's the principle that I want to give you from two weeks ago as we looked at this text. Here it is, following the will of God isn't always easy. You see, sometimes saints suffer for doing what God has called them to do. You see, Paul suffered for doing what God had called him to do. Paul suffered for preaching the gospel. Paul suffered for being in the will of God. And eventually, it cost him his life. Eventually, Nero chopped his head off. But it was all because he did the will of God. It wasn't because he was in sin. It wasn't because he was doing anything wrong. It was because he was following God and committing his life to preaching the gospel and following the will of God for his life. Hear me this morning. If we truly pursue the life that God has called us to live, we will suffer as well. But too often we want a life of comfort. We want a life of ease. But hear me this morning. Following God and doing His will isn't always comfortable. Doing what God has called you to do. Living the life that God has called you to live doesn't mean the life is always going the way you want it to go. It doesn't mean the life is always going to work out the way you want it to work out. And it, always, and it doesn't mean that you're always going to end up where you want to end up. I never thought I would end up in Jefferson, South Carolina. I never thought I'd end up in Hartsville, South Carolina. But when you follow God, you have to go where He goes. In fact, sometimes you want to sing the song, Lead me, Lord, and I'll follow you. But do we really mean it? Do we really mean it? We do when we sing it. But when it comes to real life, it's like, God, I don't know if I really want to follow you wherever you lead me. Because to follow Him wherever He leads you is costly. And it requires sacrifice. And sometimes it requires suffering. In fact, Paul writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.12 says this, All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer 
persecution. You see, in my years of ministry, I've had people talk about me. I've had people slander me. I've had people talk about my wife. Start rumors. I had one guy in the church, and here's the thing, I had to confront him and his wife because of things that they did. It's not pleasant, but sometimes it has to happen. And they got upset, they left the church, and then they said, he, he said, that if I ever showed up in his yard, he would beat me up. How's that for a Christian brother? Saying something about that. That if I showed up in his yard, he was going to fight me. Because I corrected him in his life. It's very Christian, isn't it? <laughs> I've had people when I was a youth pastor say that I was sleeping with the girls in the youth group and tried to start that around town. I've had people try to say my wife was cheating on me. You think it's been easy doing what I've done? No. You follow God and follow His will. It will be costly. But here's the thing. Even if we have to suffer for doing God's work, the greatness of the cause... Is worth the hardship of the suffering. Let me say it again. Even if we have to suffer for doing God's work, the greatness of the cause is worth the hardship of the suffering. So I want to ask you before we get into our main text this morning, are you willing to suffer so that others can be saved? Or is your comfort more important than the souls of others? Paul said, I'll lay down my life and I'll endure tribulation so that you can know Jesus. So are you willing to suffer? Am I willing to suffer so that people can hear about Jesus? Or is my comfort more important than the souls of somebody else? I pray to God, my comfort's not more important than somebody else going to hell. Amen. I want us to get into our main text this morning. We see beginning in verse 14 as we get into it, that Paul, he begins to pray for the believers in Ephesus. This is the second of two prayers recorded in the book of Ephesians. The first prayer was found in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 to 23. We've already studied that. In the first prayer, the emphasis was on enlightenment, but in the prayer we're going to begin to study today, the emphasis is on enablement. And so this morning we're going to begin to talk about prayer and let me say that I hope that everyone in this prayer is a person of prayer. I hope that you're a man of prayer and a woman of prayer. I hope that you take the time daily to spend with God and call on His name. But here's the thing. If you are a praying person, you know that there are difficulties associated with prayer. How many know this morning the flesh hates to pray? But not only that, the mind can be easily distracted during prayer. Have you ever begun to pray and then... You started off, started off well enough and then your mind got sidetracked. All of a sudden your to-do list began to pop into your mind. All the things you hadn't got accomplished yet begin to come to your mind. And you begin to think, I've got to get, get to doing all this other stuff. Have you ever found yourself thinking about other things that weren't even connected with prayer? 
as you started to pray? Well, if that's happened to you, welcome to the human race. That's all of us. You see, we are a people who get easily distracted, especially when it comes time to pray. For some reason, the devil wants to attack us and he wants to all of a sudden somehow try to remind us of all the things we need to get done when it comes time to pray. Well, as you begin to study this text, it seems that Paul had that issue as well. In fact, he started to pray back in verse 1. And then he got sidetracked and spent 12 verses talking about the mystery of the church. And just for the record, Paul wasn't distracted by any fleshly motives. The Holy Spirit distracted Paul. Paul wasn't like us when he began to pray in this text where we get distracted by the flesh. He got distracted by the Holy Spirit. He became so overwhelmed by the truth that he began to talk about the mystery of the church. He began to exalt the mystery of the church. And so in the verses before us, Paul returns to the matter of prayer. And so today, we're going to start examining Paul, the prayer warrior. And there's some important lessons and principles from these verses that will help us as we pray. And so the first principle, the first lesson that I want you to notice today is this. Our attitude in prayer is more important than our posture in prayer. Our attitude in prayer is more important than our posture in prayer. Let's look at verse 14. He said, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice that phrase, I bow my knees. I bow my knees. You see, kneeling down to pray, it's very common for us. But a man of Paul's heritage, a man of Paul's ancestry, it wouldn't have been common for him to kneel down to pray. Typically in that day, Jews would have stood to pray. In fact, if you see on TV today, Jews, as they're at the wailing wall, they are standing to pray. They're not kneeling down. And so to bow down in prayer in that day was very uncommon. Now when you look at the Bible, you'll find out that there's several postures for prayer in the Word of God. Abraham stood before the Lord when he prayed for Sodom. David sat before the Lord when he prayed about the future of his kingdom. Jesus fell on his face when he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. But in this verse 14, Paul thinks about what God has done. He's so overwhelmed with the mystery of the church and how God has brought Jew and Gentile together that he kneels before God in prayer. He bows before the King of kings and Lord of lords. And so here's the thing. Kneeling before God, kneeling to pray, was usually done in times of humility, in times of distress. For example, Ezra knelt when he confessed the sins of the people. Daniel knelt when he learned that King Darius had signed into law the prohibition on prayer. Paul knelt with the elders from Ephesus before he departed in Acts chapter 20. Solomon knelt before the Lord at the dedication of the temple. So kneeling to pray describes humility. Kneeling to pray describes intense passion and intense motion. But here's the thing I want you to take away this morning. The Bible doesn't command us any special posture when we pray. And so when Paul talks about kneeling before the Father and bowing before the Father, he's not mandating a certain posture for prayer, but he's rather revealing an attitude in prayer. He's saying that when we pray, we need to be humble. That when we pray, we need to be reverent. That when we pray, we need to recognize who it is that we're talking to. You see, this morning when it comes to prayer, what's most important when we pray is the attitude of our heart. You see, you can pray when you walk, when you sit, when you kneel. You can lay on your face before God. 
But if your hearts and if your spirits aren't bowed in humility, prayer isn't effective. You see, here's the thing. You can bow on your knees, but if your heart isn't submitted, prayer will do nothing. And I'm afraid sometimes that's how it is when people pray. We bow our knees, but our hearts aren't submitted. We bow our knees, but our hearts aren't humbled. And then we wonder why prayer doesn't do anything. There were three preachers, and they were sitting around discussing the best positions for prayer. There was a telephone repairman. He was listening as these ministers were discussing this and having this conversation. The first minister claimed, kneeling is definitely the best position when you pray. The second pastor spoke up and he said, no, that's not the best position. He said, I get the best results standing with my hands outstretched toward heaven. The third minister, he spoke up and he said, you're both wrong. The most effective prayer position is lying prostrate, face down on the floor. After hearing all this, the telephone repair man, he couldn't stand it any longer, couldn't contain himself. He said, hey fellas, the best praying I ever did was hanging upside down from a telephone pole after my safety strap broke. Listen, you'd do some praying then, wouldn't you? I brought Brother Tommy coming down out of that stand the other night without wind whip around. You probably want to do some praying. Listen, you can pray in any posture you want to pray, but what matters is your heart. Amen? You see, when we pray, we've got to come before God with humility. We've got to come before God with reverence. When we come to God in prayer, we've got to recognize that we're coming before someone that's greater and stronger than we are. When we pray, we've got to come before God knowing that He's greater than us. The posture of praying isn't the important thing. It's the attitude of our heart that matters. But here's the second thing I want you to notice this morning. When we pray, we're praying to one who listens and answers. When we pray, we're praying to one who listens and answers. When we pray, we're praying to one who listens and answers. Look at verse 14 and 15 again. He says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven on earth is named. Notice that Paul prayed to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we also see in verse 15 that he addressed this prayer to the Father of the whole family of God. So here's the point that I want to make from this principle, that when Paul prayed, he wasn't praying to the ceiling. He wasn't praying into thin air. He wasn't praying to some lifeless concept or idea in his mind. He was praying to the Father. He was praying to the only living God. He was praying to the God that is true. He was praying to Jehovah. He was praying to the very God who would hear and answer his prayer. You see, this morning when we pray, we're to pray to the Father. We're to pray to the only true God. We're to pray to the God who can hear and answer pray. You see, in the Bible, we're to pray to the Father through the Son and the power of the Spirit. That's the formula for prayer. To the Father, in the name of Jesus, through the power of the Spirit. That's how we're supposed to pray. You see, prayer can only be as effective as the one you pray to. In other words, prayer doesn't work if you pray to the wrong person. How many know this morning that even pagans pray? Pagans pray. Unbelievers pray. But their prayers 
are ineffective because they don't pray to the true God. They don't pray to the living God. You see, all over this world, there's people who are praying to false gods. But it doesn't work. Listen to Jonah chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. It says, The Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. Now, listen to this. Then the mariners, that's the sailors, they were afraid. And every man cried out to his God. They prayed. Every man had a God that he cried out to. But here's the thing. When they cried out to their God, did did the storm die down? No. It wasn't until Jonah got thrown overboard. It wasn't until he realized that God sent the storm. And he told them, hey, you got to throw me overboard. Their praying didn't do anything. And then look in Matthew chapter 6, verse 7 and 8. Jesus, as He's teaching on prayer, He says, And when you pray, do not use vain repetition as the, what, what does it say? The heathen. For they think they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them. For your Father knows the things you have need before you ask. So we saw in John 1, the sailors, they called to their gods, but their gods didn't help them. In Matthew 6, Jesus talks about and warns against using vain, meaningless repetitions like the heathen. What's the heathen? It's the pagans. You see, false uh, pagans, they, they pray to false idols and they'll use incantations and they'll use vain repetitions and repeat the same things over and over and over again thinking that because if they pray long prayers and repeat the same phrases over and over again, their God will answer them. And Jesus warns, don't be like the pagans. Again, all over this world, people pray to false gods. They pray to false idols. They bow down to them. They worship them. But listen, false gods and false idols can't hear prayer and they can't answer prayer. Listen, this cross is a symbol of our faith. But listen, I can't make this my God because it can't hear me and it can't answer me. That's what a lot of people do. They'll take something like this, whether it be a a bull or a calf or a goat, something made out of wood, something made out of stone, something made out of gold or some other precious metal, and they'll talk to it, they'll offer sacrifices to it, but it doesn't do them a bit of good. But when we pray, we pray to a God that's alive. We pray to one that hears us and answers us. One that's in control of everything. Think about in 1 Kings 18, Elijah as he faced the prophets of Baal. He says, The God that answered by fire, let him be God. Let's read it in 1 Kings 18, verse 25 to 29. He said, Now Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one bull for yourselves and prepare it first, for you are many, and call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it. So they took the bull which was given them and they prepared it and called on the name of Baal from morning even till noon. Notice that, from morning till noon. Saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, no one answered. And they leaped about the altar which they had made. So it was at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is meditating or he is busy or he is on a journey. Or perhaps he is sleeping and must be awakened. So they cried aloud and cut themselves as was their custom with knives and lances until the blood gushed out on them. And when midday was passed, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. But there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid 
attention. They got started that morning and went till noon. And nothing happened. And Elijah begins to mock him. Hey, he's a God, isn't he? Maybe he's sleeping. Maybe he's resting. Maybe, maybe he's away. And then they got riled up then. They began to dance around the altar, leap about. All of a sudden they began to cut themselves and blood began to gush out. And then from noon until listen, all day long. And there was no voice. And no one answered. And no one paid attention. That's what a fault God will do for you. There won't be no voice. There won't be no answer. And no one will pay attention. But look what happens when Elijah First of all, he repairs the altar. Let me just say this. It's time for the church to repair the altar. And just so that they knew it was God, he took four pitchers of water and he doused the altar three times with it. Or four times with it, I can't quite remember. To let them know God is the one that answers. So let's, let, let's go to the next scripture. 1 Kings 18, beginning at verse 36. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their backs, hearts back to you again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt off, burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and it licked up the water that was in the trench. Now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Elijah made it as impossible as he could by drenching the sacrifice in the altar with water. And about a 62 or 63 word prayer is all it took. God answered by fire. Why? Because the one we pray to listens and answers. God hears us when we pray. I want you to get that this morning. When you pray, you're not talking to a wall. When you pray, you're not wasting your time. I know you may not see fire fall immediately. You may not see miracles happen immediately, but when you pray, hear me, people of God, you're not wasting your time. You're not wasting your words. You're not wasting your breath. God hears and God answers the cries of His people. I would to God that we would get that deep down in our soul this morning that when we pray, God listens to every prayer. We pray and God answers every prayer. We pray. It may not always be the answer that we want, but God hears us and God answers us. The Bible tells us in the book of Matthew chapter 7, verse 9 through 11, says, What man is there among you if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven and give good things to those who ask Him. Listen, if you'll call out to Him, God will hear you and God will answer you. The Bible tells us in Jeremiah 33, 3, Call to me and I will hear you and answer you and show you good and mighty things that you do not know. Listen, God answers us when we pray. Because we have a Father that hears us and answers us. Listen, that should motivate us to pray. Amen? 
understand if God didn't do anything. I can understand if our father was like some folks' God that didn't do anything and didn't pay attention, not wanting to pray. But knowing that he hears us and he answers us, that should motivate you to want to call out to him. That should motivate us to want to spend time with him. You see, James tells us you have not because you ask not. Here's a great question for us. Why don't the people of God pray? If we believe He's our Heavenly Father that can do all things, and that He actually takes the time to listen to us and can do something about it, why don't we pray? Let me move on. Let's look at number three. Our praying should include intercession for others. Our praying should include intercession for others. Look at verse 16. Look at the first five words there. That He would grant He would grant you. Paul isn't selfish in his praying. Not praying for himself as he starts his prayer. When Paul prayed, he thought of others and included the needs of others. Now think about this. He's in prison. But he's praying for other people. In fact, almost every prayer that's recorded in Scripture that Paul writes... It's for the spiritual welfare of other people. Even though he's persecuted, imprisoned, and in need of things for his own welfare, he prays primarily for other believers that they'll be protected and strengthened. Even at times when he did pray for himself, it was most often often for the purpose of being better able to serve God and God's people. Look at Ephesians 6, 19. He says, pray pray also for me that the message may be given me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. He's asking for prayer for himself, but he's not being selfish. He's saying, pray that I'll have boldness to preach the gospel. You see where his heart was. It was on doing the work of God. It was on benefiting other people. Pray that God will give me boldness. Yes, he had a thorn in the flesh and he sought God to remove that thorn. But much of his praying was God. Use me. Bless other people. You see, as God's people were to be like Paul, were to have a sensitivity to the spiritual needs of other people. You see, we're to be sensitive to the needs of our wives, our husbands, our children, our pastors, our fellow church members, neighbors, friends, co-workers. We're to be sensitive to their spiritual needs. And we're to pray for them. You never know what somebody else is going through when they walk through these doors. And we need to lift each other up in prayer. We're to pray for everybody that we have any contact with. Those in the church as well as those outside the church. You know, the Bible instructs us to pray for those in authority, those for in a government. 
We're to pray for Christian leaders, missionaries, people that we've never met at times. But if I'll, if I'll be honest, and if you'll be honest, much of our praying is only about ourselves. We're concerned about me, myself, and I. But Paul shows us that when we pray, we should include others' needs. I want to ask you this morning, who else have you prayed for this week besides yourself? Who else have you called out to God in prayer this week? Have you mentioned anybody else's name in prayer? If you haven't, your praying is selfish. If I haven't, my praying is selfish. The Bible says look not only for your own interest, but for the interest of others. I want to pose a question this morning. Could it be that we don't see people saved because we don't pray for people to get saved? Again, James says you have not because you ask not. And so could it be that we're not reaching lost people and seeing a harvest because we're not praying for a harvest? I want us as a church to pray for lost people. Start with your family members. Start with your close contacts. But I want us to pray that God help us reach lost people. That God help us be a church where people can find Jesus and find His grace and find His love. I don't want us to be a church that simply prays about our own needs and about wanting more blessings and about wanting God to show up and just touch us and help us. 1 Timothy 2, 1-3 I urge you first of all to pray for some people. Is that what it says? Pray for all people. Ask God to help them intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. Now look at verse 3. This is good and pleases God our Savior. Pray for all people. Those you like, those you don't like. Pray for all people. And let me say this, if you started praying for those you don't like, you might find out you like them more. That's a good place to say amen. Because here's the thing, you might not change them, but I know this, when you pray, you'll change. <laughs> Our praying needs to include intercession for other people. Let me give you number four. This will be our last one. Our praying should focus on our spiritual needs more than our physical needs. Our praying should focus more on our spiritual needs than our physical needs. Because here's what I believe. If you'll focus on the inside more than you do the outside, God will take care of the outside. If you'll focus on what takes place in here, God take care of everything else. I believe that. Look at verse 16 again. 
that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man. Let me read it to you in the New Living Translation. It says, I pray that from His glorious unlimited resources, aren't you glad that God has unlimited resources? That God will never run out. Pray that from His glorious unlimited resources that He will empower you with inner strength through His This is the very first request that Paul makes as he begins this praying. And he says, I want God to strengthen you with power in the inner man. Now here's the thing, when we pray, we're so guilty of focusing more on the outside than we do the inside. Now here's the thing, there's nothing wrong with bringing our needs to God. There's nothing wrong with praying for physical needs and material needs. There's nothing wrong with taking our request to God. But too often the focus is on the outward man and on physical needs. We know that Paul prayed for himself. He had that thorn in the flesh and three times he sought God and begged God to remove it. And I'm thankful today that we can take our physical needs to God and God meets physical needs and God gives us daily our daily bread. But we've got to remember our spiritual man needs help and needs prayer just like our physical man does. Amen? You see, too many of our prayers focus only on this outside and we fail to lay hold of the deeper inner needs of the heart. You see, as believers, we need strength and power on the inside. You see, it's power on the inside that gives us the the, the ability to fight sin and proclaim the gospel with boldness and love people the way Jesus loves people. You see, we live in a world that focuses primarily on the outer person. But as a believer, as a follower of Christ, the inner person is more important. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4.16, he says, even though our outward man is perishing, the inward man is being renewed day by day. Whether you realize it or not, this old fleshly outer body, it's decaying. It's not going to last. Somebody say amen there. Listen, it's going to go back to dust. It's going to be put in the ground. But the inner man can be renewed day by day through the power of the Holy Spirit. These bodies are going to wear out. These bodies are going to weaken. Listen, I'm not that old. I'm only 39. But here's the thing. I'm not as strong at 39 as I was at 18. Because this body's not what it used to be. And as you get older, your body's not what it used to be. But here's the thing on the inside. Every day of my life, I can get stronger. Regardless of what this outside does. And so Paul says, when you pray, pray that God will strengthen you in the inner man. See, that's what's more important with God because here's the thing. People look on the outside, but God's looking on the inside. God's looking on the inside. And so here's what I want to say to you today. It doesn't matter how strong you are outwardly if you're weak inwardly. It doesn't matter how strong you are outwardly if you're weak inwardly. We need to be strong on the inside. You see, it's the Holy Spirit that gives us power to live the Christian life. And we need power, amen? In 
fact, if we're going to live like God's people, if we're going to be His children in this earth, we need to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man. Paul tells us in Galatians 5.16 that if we'll walk in the Spirit, we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. You see, the key to victory, the key to power is the Holy Spirit being strengthened on the inside. You see, the obedient, effective, and productive Christian has to be spirit-conscious, spirit-filled, and spirit-controlled. And how do we get that? Through prayer, being strengthened by the Holy Spirit. Listen, if you want power to live, make prayer a priority. I believe if you'll pray, you'll experience God's power. You'll be strengthened on the inside. As I close this morning, I want you to remember this statement or write it down as we talk about being strengthened on the inside. Don't let who you are outwardly become greater than who you are inwardly. Don't let who you are outwardly become greater than who you are inwardly. I don't want to become greater on the outside and shrivel up on the inside. thing is there's a lot of preachers that do it and those are the ones that you see fall their persona and their reputation gets big but on the inside they're shriveling up and you see their fall I don't want that for me I don't want that for you I don't want to get some great big reputation on the outside but on the inside shrivel up I close this morning. Prayer needs to be a part of our daily living. I'm not telling you you need to pray an hour a day. But I believe we need to spend some time with God on a regular, consistent basis. I believe prayer needs to be a priority. But I also want you to understand today prayer is a privilege. You see, I don't have to pray. I get to pray. I get to pray. It's not something I have to check off my box. It's a privilege. We better go to God. In fact, God invites us to pray. He wants us to pray. He wants you to pray more than you want to pray. And He's promised that when we pray, He'll answer. I ask you this morning, is your praying everything it should be or is there room for improvement? I believe there's probably room for improvement for all of us. I want to challenge you this week to spend 15 minutes in the morning, 15 minutes in the evening with God in prayer. It's not a lot of time. 30 minutes a day. How many believe they can do that? Just 15 minutes in the morning, 15 minutes at night before you go to bed. Just just 30 minutes a day. And here's the thing. It might not seem like a lot of time, but I believe it can have an impact upon your life. Just from beginning tomorrow until we meet again next Sunday. So just take those 30 minutes, 15 in the morning, 15 at night, it'll have an impact upon your life.
And I believe it will begin to instill within you a habit of just spending time with God. We can all do 15 minutes. And it will work in our lives. And we'll see God do some great things. I believe that. I want you to stand with me this morning.